I think people more than ever are either becoming like super sad and depressed and internalizing that rage or really anxious where I believe that's where the rage gets like, I'm going to swallow it. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Priori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I am your host, Danny Priori, and today I'm joined by clinical psychologist, teacher, writer, also known as the Rage Doctor, can't wait to get into that, and founder of Decolonizing Therapy. I'm joined by the wonderful Dr. Jennifer Mullen. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. That's a really beautiful question. I am actually doing really good vibing. I had my improv class last night. Ooh. I joined improv, and this is like now we're doing showcase. So we are like preparing for a show, and I'm starting to feel myself. So thank you. There you go. New Year's resolutions, they get kind of like a bad rap. But when you actually like kind of stick with one, feels good. It does. It feels does. good. So, you know, it's all it's all about it's all about healthy habits in 2023 for us. That's all it is. When you were a kid, did you know, like, were you one of those kids that like knew what you wanted to do your whole life? Because if you were like, I hate you because like, you know, I was one yeah. of those kids that had no idea. I still don't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> what did you think you wanted to do? Did you want to be like a fire person or like a... Yeah. So my dad was a sports writer and I was like, oh yeah, like I'll do that. And then I realized like when I got to high school, you have to go to like journalism school. And then I was just like, like, oh, I was like, that's, I hate school. That was the only thing I wanted to do because I saw my dad do it. But now I'm in like this kind of like guerrilla, like journalism now. So, you know, it's like, you know, I get to kind of do it anyway. So it's kind of fun. But uh, yeah, that the fireman, all that stuff. I had all that. But what was it like for you? Were you one of those lucky kids that knew what you wanted to do your entire life? No, not at all. Yeah, and not at all. I guess that goes right back to the like improv. I was like, they would call me like a little ham, right? Because like a song would come on or like Madonna or like Michael Jackson or something. And I was suddenly like jazz hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to be like actor, singer, writer. I don't know, all of that. And I learned really quick, fast and in a hurry, especially growing up on the East Coast. That <laughs> is yeah, really yeah. brutal. You know, growing up as a Jersey, New York kid, you know, Britain Tunnel kid, like you, you learn really fast what you're good at and what you're not, you know? Yes, yes. I was good at talking and I was good at writing. Like my teachers, you know, I was this mix between like an around the way kid growing up kind of like in the inner city and at the same time, like really nerdy and really smart. So the teachers would be like, oh, you wrote another story. Come read it. And if you could imagine I'm in the fourth grade, like reading a story about a princess and like, the mountain and a diamond. Yeah, yeah. Very sci-fi Tolkien <laughs> shit. And like, <laughs> the kids are looking at me like, you're such a kiss ass. You're so corny. Like, but at the same time, I'm like scrapping in the schoolyard, you know? Yeah, um, no, getting after it. Yeah. No, it, it, sometimes it's it's the best to be the best of both worlds sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So That's I didn't know. To answer your question, like a long story short, I didn't know. And then after a while, I was so bossy and so good at like telling people what to do and teaching them. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. Right. That's what I thought. I'd be like, and then I did elementary school teaching for like a year and a half. And then I realized I care more about whether or not, you know, they have a healthy home environment, whether or not their parents are fighting. Right. And I care about English. It's such a beautiful thing, if you really think about it, to have empathy for other people. Because it's not really really a given anymore in the world that we live in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's very it's very hard to find people like yourself that are willing to actually care about other people, you know, because you could yeah. throw all like the, you could throw all the degrees around or, you know, this and that and that. But do you really care about people? That's that's kind of like the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, I don't think it comes natural. And then I also it makes me wonder about people's home environments. And I guess that's where the psychological self comes in, because, you know, although me and my dad have a 
pretty solid relationship now and I appreciate him. And he's like my number one fan and is a little annoying with being the number one fan. But yeah, with that said, he's rageaholic, you know, a big six foot nine, 400 pound Italian Irish dude that is like intimidating as AF and, yes. you know, having a bully at home and at school, you feel me, you know, like it, it's having yes. a lot of that energy. And so I also, I think was curious about myself, my mental health, yeah, for you know, sure. I was curious how to how to function and how to thrive. And so I think that's how I got into therapy and psychology. Absolutely. It's always like kind of starts like with you, right? That's like what I, I, I've gathered from talking to uh I've been blessed enough to talk to so many doctors on the show, but like it's always awesome to me to hear that it starts a lot of the times from personal experience. It's not just something like my parents made me do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so your father's a six foot nine, 400 pound Italian Irish Irishman. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a lunatic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was your mom like? Yeah, my mom is the exact opposite. I don't know if you're yeah. into astrology, but like my dad is like Sagittarius fire. And my mom is like Pisces water. My mom might as well just like have a tinkling sound anywhere she walks. Cause like that's her energy. It's very yes. like. Hi, she cooks amazing. She's sweet. She's shorter than all of us and tinier. Black indigenous Panamanian woman and the model, whereas my father was a stock boy, you know, right, right. dates a million times in Brooklyn, <laughs> you know, and she's just like, I'm going yeah, to, no, no, no. Hi, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow she said yes to a date and their first date picture. I wish I had it to show you is hilarious because we're all like, what were you doing with this clown? You are like Beyonce level status. Like what? What was happening here? But it worked and it works. Let me tell you something. So my, my father, my father's Italian. My mother's Puerto Rican. And they met in East Tremont in the Bronx in the 70s. Wow. So, yeah. yeah so you know how racist that was. Yes. Yeah. My yes. parents, too. they got married in 75. I can't imagine mm-hmm. what your dad's side of the family Oof. had to think about it. It's all water under the bridge now. But, you know, my dad's brothers and sisters and parents didn't go to his wedding. Wow. So it was like one of those things. What was it like for you, though? Yeah. Um, from what they say, initially, there was a lot of pushback from all my aunts and my grandmother. My, a my lot nanny, of O's. Yeah. My nanny was very old school, you know, yes. like tough yes. as nails, wore bride prostitute with an Irish dude. You know, we're talking very intense. And I didn't know all this until after she passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My aunts, like once they all met my mother, it was just apparently like, really easy for them and there was a lot of like oh she's not like that kind of you know yeah 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 yeah. that's italian for being uh yeah you know what could we do you know we got to find some excuse to to not be racist now you know that's just how it is no because uh yeah once my brother was born my grandparents were like they were like fuck it like we love these people now but yeah i'm sure for you though growing up though just like you struggled with probably your racial identity your entire life up until you know you started figuring out stuff about the brain totally 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 and depending on where i went like my parents just didn't talk about it i don't think it's how it is these days and my parents were just sort of like well what will help you get into this or that i'm like well everybody is saying this or everybody's calling me this What are like, I would start having these big questions and they would look at each other. And now they look back and they laugh and they're like, you always ask questions that we couldn't answer. We we weren't even thinking about these questions. And you were like years ahead of all of us. Or one time, you know, got mad at my brother for something because I don't know. I'm not going to get into the whole story, but she kind of was like really ripping into him because he did something and he got in trouble and it looked bad on her. Right. Because he broke something. And I was like, mom. You're just taking it out on him because you're embarrassed. This isn't really about Mikey. This is about you. And she's like, to this day, she was like, that's yeah. how I knew you were like destined for something else because you were deep as a kid. You're already psychoanalyzing people at like four years old. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, definitely. I would say like when I moved, I knew like I understood that I was seen as like a light skinned black person in certain places, but I always felt like not enough of one thing or not enough of another. That's what people got to understand. I think people don't really understand about like the New York, New Jersey area is like you kind of adopt where you're raised. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you grow up in like a very Spanish, a Latin environment, like 
I don't care how white or how black you are. You're going to have to learn to speak some kind of Spanish just to get through, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like neighborhoods just adopt people. It's like the cutest thing in the world. He's like, yeah, but he's like, he's like, he's one of us, though. You know, what I mean? he, <laughs> you know, like you said before, he's like, you know, he's not like the rest of them. You know what I mean? He's, right, like, right. he's like one of the good ones. It's like they're like try, <laughs> trying to be nice yeah. racist. and my father will say to this day he's like hello i grew up in the projects we were the only white family in the project and i'm like yes dad and yes yes and dad like you know they live in texas now bro so could you could imagine like they're retired but they live in texas the word they could afford all of this to say like we have to like remind my mom sometimes like some things will happen or we me and my mom won't get access to certain things or people get a little funny with us yeah my mom is like because like, the New York, New Jersey, not that it doesn't happen, but it's like a different energy. Yeah, it's a different energy. It's not like as parts of Texas can be old school racist. Facts. Yes. New York, New Jersey is kind of like, you know, like it's like it's still like racist, but it's like it's a little more subtly racist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Texas, they don't give a fuck someplace. They don't. And they have guns right in the holster. <laughs> so I'm like, Mom, please, <laughs> let's take it down five. Not my father's like, you're going to get me shot. You're gonna give me yep. a shot. <laughs> there's no, there's no Italian people there either. Yep. yep. There's this Gavon coming around six yeah. nine four. And he's loud, pounds. obnoxious, making jokes, and people are like, "Oh, you must be from the New York area." And he's like, "Yeah, no, Jersey City. What about it?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's where I live now. I live in Jersey City now. So I want to go back though, because you said that he he was a rager himself. Mm-hmm. As an Italian man, I could definitely identify with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um yeah. so yeah. you know you're also known as the rage doctor yeah tell me a little bit about the male this is how i'm gonna try and sound like a doctor mm-hmm. the male kind of like dna makeup that we have that makes us mostly like a rageful species mm-hmm. yeah well it's funny because i think that if i can put like a spin on this yeah know, yeah yeah for sure because i think I suppose I come from a place and where we all have that aspect of rage and in general, like all of us are holding this intense rage. It just gets disguised different because of the way we're socialized. Right. Like, so for example, I would suppose where people identify as men and dudes, like they're, they're constantly feeling this pressure, not all, but I would say many um, have been socialized right to, Puff up, stand up for oneself, right? Yeah. Also feeling not wanting to be whack, corny, not seen, irrelevant, almost like anger and or rage is associated with strength. And I suppose if you go back to cavemen era, that makes perfect sense, right? It was about protection, survival, getting the partner, making sure your people are eating, you know? So it was all about this fight, flight, freeze sort of thing. And I would say that I noticed the same exact thing in all people, like in women as well, where there is this intense rage, but it often looks like devotion, right? I'm going to avoid feeling this intense rage by devoting myself to a cause or to my kids or to my partner's life or to having some kind of body or having this career. Sometimes it looks like distraction. Yeah. So no, no, you're right. I feel like, uh, Oh, having an epiphany. <laughs> Good. <yeah. laughs> no, no, point, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, because my dad, like my dad used to have this thing where he would bottle stuff up like so much. And then it would either get to a point where you have a breaking point and he would like slap the shit out of us. Well deserved at times. But you know what I mean? So like he would get, he would give us a shot every once in a while. But his thing was he would just disappear. Mm. He would like just like go for a walk and like not come back for 12 hours. He would have these breaking points where he would like be it was almost like the rage turned inward was so it was so much that he was like, if I stay here, I'm going to kill one of these little motherfuckers. <laughs> he was yeah. just like, you know, I got to get out of here. Yeah. So, no, it's it, it's one of those things like you don't really think about rage so much until like, I've had friends that have had to go to like anger management and stuff, but they never they've never gone there on their own. It's always because it's either been like court ordered or like yeah. doctor recommended. Like, it's not one of the things you think of to be like, Oh, I'm just going to go like, get like my rage checked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And I think one of the reasons why is because it is so socially unacceptable still. Right. Mm. And it's so socially unacceptable. It's often most pathologized. So like when I think of all the youth that I've worked with, 
right? Particularly black and brown youth and poor youth, right? When I think about all of them, anytime that they showed displays of rage, even after losing a parent, move from foster home to foster home, getting the shit beat out of them, sexual abuse, like Mm -hmm. things that make sense why you would be pissed off and don't want gym teacher touching your shoulder, right? Like, Like stuff like that, they still would be diagnosed with like oppositional defiant disorder, intermittent explosive disorder, conduct Mm. disorder right and so that's sort of how i got into this work even because there was this realization i worked at umdnj i think it's like Rutgers hospital in newark yeah yeah three four years and there was so much trauma on this partial care unit and these kids would come in sometimes they come in hi dr jen like i'm talking about kids that were in gangs kids that were abused in ways that I would never ever verbalize because it would just like traumatize people. Like yeah, just yeah. heavy Can't even imagine. Shit. Yeah. The shit you hear on TV, like like heavy shit. And they're still like, hey, and then some days they'd come in, get off me, bitch. Like, and it's all that pain. And so I guess what I'm saying is that especially this day and age with what we're dealing with, yes. <laughs> with shit storm, with climate stress and crisis, with yes. so much violence on poor black, brown bodies all over the world, with so much fear, with like our past coming up, our history coming up to like kick us in the ass. I think people more than ever are either becoming like super sad and depressed and internalizing that rage or really anxious where I believe that's where the rage gets like, I'm going to swallow it. Yeah, no, because, you know, I think I always make a joke on here that I always say I was depressed before it was cool. Mm. I feel that. I feel that. You know what I mean? But it's like, mm-hmm. if you think about it, it's this is one of the benefits of social media, but then it's also one of those things that's really tough, right? Because it's like, we're getting the message out there that like, it's okay to like self-evaluate in terms of like, you know, check in with yourself, see how you're doing. But a lot of it stops. People just say they're depressed and then that's it. They don't do anything yeah. to follow it up. They are just like, they feel hopeless a lot of times. I tell people all the time, and you would know better than me, a lot of what we go through and even what i've learned you know being a patient it's a lot of homework so much i think like people just realize if you realize that it's a lot of homework i think the success rate of a lot of people you know if they went in with the mindset that there's going to be homework involved with this the success rate in terms of you know either getting the proper medication or getting into the right office or you know there's a lot that goes into it and that's like Mm -hmm. depressing in itself you know trying to kind of you know what I mean? Just trying to find the right things that work for you. But, you know, I think right if a lot... yeah. trying to find the right therapist, like dating, it's like. It is. It is. You know, and let's segue right there. Right. Finding the right therapist. So talk to me a little bit about decolonizing therapy, because I've spoken to a ton of, you know, doctors on here, people that struggle with depression at all walks of life have been on this show. And for me, I feel like I could only have a male therapist. I've been very vocal about it, but I also have spoken to my friends and I've asked them before a couple of my black friends. And I just been like, you guys think like you'd ever like see like a white therapist. And they were like, nah. And I was like, why? They were just like, how the fuck is some white guy going to tell me about, you know, what I'm dealing with? Mm. I was like, have you ever tried it? And they've been like, yeah, like some of them have had good experiences, bad experiences. Is that something that, kind of makes sense or is that something that people have to really understand it's like picking a therapist it's like you kind of get to be prejudiced a little bit yeah like yeah. legally yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get to be like legally racist when it comes to your therapist. <laughs> yeah you know i'd like to think of it as like we get to ask for what we need and but i feel you i totally i'm like laughing yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. but like that's the comedian that's the comedian side of me you know yeah, I mean? as, as it should be but like yeah. I, I really think it's like high time, especially when it comes to your mental health, where you're vulnerable, where people are getting on the inside of shit that you were told to never talk about, right? right? Family drama, relationship shit, sexual shit. Like I also, as a person, racialized body, a person of color, you also don't want to have to explain your experience. It's like one of my areas that I'm not like really clued into or an expert, whatever that means in is like, religious trauma. I understand it. I can support someone through it, but I wouldn't say that it's my expertise. So if someone came to me and I've had that happen, who left like the Mormon church, right. And they're like, 
really getting into it and I see massive amounts of trauma, I can hold them to an extent. But then there also comes a point where I'm like, listen, there are some great people that specialize in this and religious trauma. And what you're talking about deserves to be held by. Does that make, I hope that makes yeah, sense. So, no, it does. It does. You know, I think like, um, yeah. if you can't feel comfortable in a doctor's office, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. so with decolonizing therapy, so like, tell me like, you know, where that kind of came into your life and, you know, what exactly it is for the audience and myself. And it's something that, you know, you know, when I was doing my own research on it, it's, it's very important. Thank you. <laughs> I think so. I think if I <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I think yeah. I think it is. And and you know, no one will be able to explain it better than you, but I just think it's very important what you're trying to uh accomplish there. What you said before was like actually the perfect segue. You know, we were talking about kinds of therapy, the kinds of French, like the the conversations you're having with your friends, their identities, all of that. So let me rewind for a second. So I worked at a university for about 13 years, the very university that I went to undergrad, New Jersey City University, or Harvard Boulevard, right? Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> In middle of Greenville section. And then I you know, got my doctorate, did all that, came back. But that school and this like small little peer education group saved my life, right? Literally, mm. literally. Because I, I was in a group with other individuals from the hood, like me, most or immigrants, or, you know, like me, that weren't trying to talk about our feelings, but because we kind of were all vibing, and there were some fun exercises, improv, we were doing skits, and, you know, talking about life, and sex, and drugs, and then presenting on it, it fed this little actor-actress thing, as I said to you, in me, and I love the intensity of being in a group, I was like, yo, I'm hooked, like, being in a group, and having the power of having someone that you would never hear share, do you feel me? Right. Suddenly open up and hold a stuffed animal or something like and be so real. And then I was like, wow, I can identify. Like I went through that, maybe not physically, but my father emotionally did it. Or right. oh, I can identify. I'm a view survivor of this. Or, you know, and then realizing also looking at peers have healthy friendships. And then I had to look at the chip on my shoulder when dealing with maybe men or dealing with like coming back and thinking everybody wants to come out to get me kind of right. young gen energy. So that saved my life. I came back years later and then I was a staff psychologist. I taught co-leading this group and I was able to take it on. And in this group, I was able to help these young people in their 20s, 30s, teens, whatever, work on their rage. We had rage retreats. You know, I'm, you know, bringing mirrors to these retreats down at LBI, down Jersey Shore. You know? Oh, hell yeah. Nice. <laughs> Nun houses, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd have these mirrors. We'd have pictures of their parents up there, you know, having them like throw grapefruits and rip the grapefruits and like just really letting in a safe container. And, and I'm getting to like explaining what decolonizing therapy is, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. in a safe container, like I get to wow the fuck out in a safe enough container. Jen is not trying to like, hospitalize me. She's not diagnosing me. I want to make sure you're your best life because you deserve more than this. And you're carrying a lot of ancestral load, meaning whether it's your parents' shit, your great-grandparents shit, your great-great-great-grandparents being ripped because of colonization or because of all these other violences. Yes. What does that do to a person's history and lineage when they may have had to change their name, their identity, when they got ripped apart from their family, where half is still in DR and the other half oh, yeah. is here. Right? We all know stories like this, especially if you grew up on the East Coast. You know these stories? <laughs> yeah, of course. And then, you know, you think about it, too. It's like you don't think about the trauma of losing your heritage, losing your language, losing your religion. You know, it's yeah. it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. And, and it wasn't that long ago. No, as well as the trauma of being forcibly brought over. We talk about, you know, the transatlantic slave trade or having ancestors burned or having land. We can keep going, whether Armenian yeah. genocide, Rwanda, no matter what we're talking about, right? I start getting amped, as you can see, right? Like, yeah, no, 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 no. I was, I'm, I I'm, I'm over here fucking vibing. <laughs> get it, get it. So there's that. So there's that. When I talk about like the historical trauma or the ancestral trauma, we're talking about people. We're talking about people being ripped. Imagine if all of us now were literally ripped from where we live, had to be split from our loved ones. If another group or another country came over and said, hey, I got this deal. We're going to support you. We're going to look you out. But show me how to plant these crops. Show me how you do this with corn. Show me blah, 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 blah. And then the next thing you know, within the next year, 
you've done horrible things to my children. Yep. You're ripping my family apart. You're doing this to my wife. You're suddenly cutting my hair. You're telling me I no longer could be on this land. You send me across the country to these dry plains without what you feel me. So yes. I'm saying all this to say so many people don't want to get stuck in that. None of us do. I didn't yeah. for many years. I didn't want to get stuck in this anger towards whiteness or anger towards colonizers. Or I didn't want to get stuck in that. But and it's both and. I think we first have to acknowledge it. We got to acknowledge like, oh, wait, this should happen. Or, oh, wait, part or half or all of my ancestors did some horrible shit. How did that pass down to me? How am I transmuting that? Right. And so decolonizing therapy in its core is, I think, looking at like the collective shadow. Right. Like that part, that underbelly that the world doesn't want to look at and what has happened historically and how that in current day is impacting the well-being, the relationships, the money in the pockets. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? The health, the mental and physical health, the spiritual health of people today. And so what we seek to do is help people honor big feelings like grief and rage, which are two sides of the same coin, how Beautiful. shame is attached to that. And how if we keep having shame related to what our ancestors did or didn't do or why we can't function better, it fucks us up, if I put it yeah. really. <laughs> no, no, listen, that, now you're speaking my language. Even I think about it, too. So, like, my ancestors were poor people. You know what I mean? So, like, my Puerto Rican side, that they're all indigenous, you know, so they probably had to deal with some stuff, too. And then, you know, and then like my grandpa and, you know, poor in Italy during like World War II, just like watch like a city get like ravaged and shit. You know what I mean? And it's like came here with like five dollars. And like, it's one of those things like, you know, I'm afraid to get out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to come from somewhere. There's some kind of especially people like me with overactive fight or flight. You know, also I'm bipolar type two. This is just what I've been diagnosed with. Panic disorder severe you know general anxiety disorder i'm also diabetic so like even like stuff like that it's like just the trauma of being human yeah is already hard enough and now if you add generational trauma to these things you know it becomes one of those things and then now it's like we're also at like an all-time like white guilt phase in america too where it's like are you just like saying it to like say it people are like they're like overly empathetic it's weird it's like a weird balance doesn't feel authentic you know when they're people of color they're just like i just feel like people like white people talk to me like like i'm a kid sometimes weird Mm, mm, yes that's real i'm like damn i never really thought about that you know because i'm just white enough to like you know pass yeah you know but but i I grow this beard out people start you know checking me at the airport and shit you know it it becomes a little weird but i never really thought about it he was like yo bro he's like over like the last like ever since you like george floyd i was talking to my friend about it the other day like a week and a half ago and he was just like yeah it's like white people like white people are weird like to me now (laughs) (laughs) he's like and i was like yo i can't understand he's like no he's like i don't expect you to but it's like i don't know it's like kind of weird like oh yeah yeah fake nice like weird kind of thing i was like are they being fake nice yeah, like this fake liberal wokeness, right? Like I need to be woke. I need to walk on eggshells rather than having real authentic conversations with the people you already have relationship with, right? Oh, yeah. Like, right? If I'm in relation, if some of my best friends or closest people are white or family, right, are white, yeah. like if they're going to tiptoe through the tulips, right, and be all uncomfortable and weird, then that's going to definitely affect it. I didn't want to jump back, but you said something no, that no, really no. impacted me and it felt special and I wanted to, if I can address it, it was of really course. important, something you said. Yes. One of the other things, and then I'm going to like direct it towards you because I want, I don't know, I just feel like a lot of compassion and empathy. And this is part of the things that I like fight for in psychology. So I want to say I'm really shitty at a million things in this world, like a million things, even like division, like fraction. But I was, I'm a really good therapist. I'm a really fucking good psychologist. (laughs) Like That's why I started this show. That's why I started this show because I get to get free sessions. (laughs) And so what I want to say is, I loved being in spaces, particularly groups. That was my thing. And I feel like Mm -hmm. groups are so transformative. So it's not always just about the therapist. Like I could walk out of my groups after like a year or so and they could still run. And people that have been there the longest would hold space in a way that, oh no, that's not appropriate. You can't do that here, right? So groups, I think have a power that many of us are missing. I want to say that. So just want to throw that out there for anyone that is like, 
no, I don't want to do group stuff. It'll be one of the best things you ever do in your life. Even if you walk away Agreed. like, fuck this, man. Like, <laughs> It'll still be one of the best things you do in your life. So I want to say that. Yes. Number two, one of the things that I write about and is coming up in my upcoming book, Decolonizing Therapy, is like, there is a beauty in traditional therapy in that it's what we got right now generally, like for the general public, if you don't have tons of money or you're not into certain things, like you can generally get therapy, hopefully for like a decent enough price, but, but it's super pathologizing, meaning, yeah, some of that language or set of symptoms, I like to call them expressions. Those sets of expressions or symptoms tell us, oh, if you're going through this, that, this hypervigilance, this, that, you know, you can't sleep. You're having flashbacks. That means this. It can help a lot of people because you're like, oh shit, I'm not alone. Mm. However, both ends, right? And it can kind of like, I've noticed over 20 years of doing therapy with people, folks will be like, I am this. And so like, I want to lovingly also ask you to like, yes. say to yourself, like I'm living with bipolar disorder. Yes. To me, I'm yeah. living with. I'm uh-huh. living with panic attacks. You're not bipolar. Feel me? Like I, I, I was uh-huh. so protective. I was like, no, Danny. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 <laughs> like, no, no. You are I not like those symptoms. You are not those symptoms. It's a set of symptoms to let you know, oh, okay, people experience this. I'm not totally yes. insane, right? Like, no, I like experience that. This, but you are not that. And those things can shift and they do shift. And I have found that people have more compassion, empathy, and hope. We're not always feeling like that mm. when they can see it separate from them. Yeah, no. Wow. I hope that was okay to like offer. It's hard sometimes. I feel that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of let what other people tell us control us a lot of times. Mm. But uh Facts. I don't know. Kind of when you when you said that, I kind of felt uh kind of felt something. I'm start crying on you. That's okay, you can. <laughs> you want to know what it is too? It's when I think about what I go through kind of on a daily basis, it's like sometimes I'll even talk with my fiance and be like, I'll say just I just hope you know my days are a little different than yours. And it's not and it's not something I'm trying to hold on to, but and you know, use to my advantage. I'm just trying to be transparent. You know, I have nights where I can't sleep, you know, and I'm trying. And my mind's just elsewhere and I'm trying to wrangle it back in. I'm a big fan of if you call yourself an asshole a hundred times, eventually you're going to start to believe you're going to trick your brain into thinking that you're actually an asshole. Words are very powerful. So, um, yeah, I've never heard that before. I've heard people use it, but I've never been told it. And oh no, just <laughs> it feels yeah. like I feel a little bit lighter after that. Because I always think of myself when I struggle with me as a kid, like as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we all like, are. Uh, yeah. yeah. So like when I think of myself having a hard time, I see like a little version of myself. How old? If you don't mind me asking. Like six or seven. Mm-hmm. Like six or seven. That's when I, I really started to kind of realize like the environment or like kind of what was going on around me. Yeah. And then like once, you know, my parents... My parents did the best they could. My parents were great, but you know, we never really had a lot of money. My parents did the best they could. They made sure we went to like a nice school. But you know, my grandfather had to build a building in Hastings so we didn't have to go to school in Yonkers. Mm. You know, so like, you know, they had to, you know, they had to do a bunch of moving around. But you know, my brother had a kid at 16. I have a younger sibling who was adopted. I have an older sibling with a different birth father. Mm-hmm. I have a brother with Tourette syndrome. Mm. So when they saw me, they were like, all right, he's like the most normal one. So instead of colonizing me, they kind of just let me just roam by myself. Mm. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like, listen, we kind of have to worry about all this other stuff because it's just what's happening. I was an uncle at seven years old. Wow. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, cha- I'm babysitting a baby. At seven, eight, nine, ten years old, you know what I mean? Like changing diapers and doing the whole thing. And yeah. I never really had a yeah. Who's taking care? Like the thought that popped in my mind was like, who's taking care of Danny? Yeah. 
That's like, that was the biggest thing. That's so they put food on the table, I imagine, and there was heat and air conditioning, whatever you needed, and like yeah, like who's taking care of the emotional needs of Danny? And so when you said that you still see yourself as a kid, like I would say that that's accurate, and I would yeah. say that most of us, including our parents, caregivers, you know, are still figuring out how to reparent ourselves because if we yes. think about their generations, they were just straight up probably thinking about survival, not all, yeah. Right. They weren't thinking about like, well, I feel like, right. I believe that our generations, hence why I think that decolonizing therapy came about. Our generations are here because we have a different burden. The burden doesn't only look just like physical, manual, like labor, working five jobs, although it might be because some of us do that. I still do that. Yeah. It's it's also this like awareness of the emotional, mental health that was already there. So it's almost like, like a dam. That's how I see it, right? Like the dam, right? So like our parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, whatever, Theosdios, they like try to skate by. I know that I had an aunt that had many suicide attempts. I had an aunt that was a lot of substance abuse. Those are ways of dealing with mental health issues. But For we weren't sure. calling it that, right? We right. were just saying, oh, that was a little crazy. I can't believe she did that shit, right? Yeah, yeah. But then here you come, zoom, the dam opens because we're dealing with mass trauma, right? From civil rights and you're dealing with like we can keep going right all the crazy yeah, yeah. Things happened in the last 40 years or so right until what's happening now so i call it like a trauma burger like a historical trauma burger yeah, where yeah. what's happening currently is the patty and then you have like your childhood shit and hurt trauma bullying whatever you've gone through is the bottom yeah. and then the stuff that our parents ancestors other people dealt with you eat yeah. that shit every single day and so the ways that our parents might have raised us is probably not what we needed in terms of like a little Agreed. bit emotional. My relationship with my parents now is not even close as the, you know, it's so much better now than it was when I was a kid mm-hmm. because, you know, you got to talk a lot of things. My biggest problem with my parents was, is that they made their problems together to public in front of us. So instead of, you know, if they were fighting, it was in front of us. You know, if they were having a bad day, it was in front of us. So like, you know, that's that's how you kind of like learn how to deal with your shit. So, you know, it's still something I struggle with to this day. I'm like, damn, like I wish my mouth wasn't as fresh as it is. But my dad, my dad didn't say he like loved me out loud until I was like 24 years old. You know what I mean? Not to the point where like, you know, now he says it all the time. You know, but I made an effort. I'm like, yo, like, I used to have a joke where I would leave my house with my friends. I'm going to be like, yo, I'm going to say I love you to my dad. And he he won't say it back because that's how his dad was. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's dad said to him, he goes, my dad asked him the same question I asked him. I was like, you know, like, you love me? Or like, he's like, he's like, why do I have to tell you I love you? He's like, I feed you and I do this all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's what my dad kind of thought love was. You have children, you take care of them and you raise them. But then you realize, like, oh, like they're all like individual people that have like different shit going on. Yeah, and different needs. Yes, different needs. You know, we have different things that we're living. It's a daily struggle, just like everybody else. But I, I try to tell people that's why you know. And to go back to your thing about group, when I was in the psych ward, mm-hmm. let me tell you something. I loved group. <laughs> I loved. Sure. <laughs> I loved group. I loved group. I still love group now. And I tell people now, it's like if you're having like any kind of trouble, like. There are free groups out there all over, all over. And now we're so blessed to walk around with these amazing computers that we call phones in our pockets. Just go to a free meeting. It gets the ball rolling. There's a, there's going to be people there that want to help you at most of these places. You know, that's why I'm such a big fan of group because I like the interaction with other people. and not feeling alone with whatever it is that I'm dealing with. One-on-one therapy, I love because I get to trauma dump more. You know what I mean? So, like, I love trauma dumping. It's real, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's, but the thing about group is just seeing there's so many people that whether they look like me or not, you know, whether, whether gay, straight, trans, queer, whatever, white, black, there is common ground between all humans. Mm -hmm. Not as much between certain either ethnicities races religions but there are certain things feelings things triggers rage sadness happiness we all feel these things but for me um 
I'm still getting to know myself a lot. And it's a lifelong thing. I think the hardest thing for me to realize was is that I the battle's a lifelong battle. That was the hardest thing for me to get over for a while. But now it's 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 more of embracing it. I used to be a, afraid of death. I'm still afraid of death, but I'm at a point where it's the idea of death makes me want to do more things. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to it used, it used to make me want to stay home. Now it's like, nah, I want to go do this. I want to do that. I want to do that. So it's tough. It's a day. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. You know, what you're saying is making me think that my brain is just going because I'm also thinking, let's say hypothetically, right? So this uh-huh. is this is the other part, DT, decolonizing therapy, where it's like, there's also a very firm belief, like what has helped me heal from like my constant and I'm not healed. I'm not healed, but right. what has helped me on my process of healing is also realizing that therapy alone couldn't give me everything I needed. And I think that that looks different for each person. And so I would say to somebody who's been in therapy for a long time, if some of the core issues are still there, I don't know why this feels important to say, but I'm going to say it because it feels important. No, 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 for sure. Some of the core issues are still there. We're feeling like we still can't get out of it. Number one, kind of like I told you, like I would ask people to remember that they're not these set of symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. Number two, I would ask people what brought their people joy, right? And like, what were some of the things that your ancestors, that your granddaddy, like, what is some of the obscure shit? Like, was he really into chess? Like, was he into cross-dressing? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, 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 no. Right? Like, what was he, like, what were our people into? Did they wake up with the sun? Even if you're, hey, waking up with the sun, were they by the water every morning? Like, I invite people, because that's part of what colonization did, was like, rip us from our natural patterns and habits and being in sync with Earth. Yeah. And we see that yeah. Earth is internally on fire. Like Earth is having a hard time, right? Like, yes. however you want to call it, right? Yeah, yeah. Fire. I don't care what you call it. We all know, well, we don't all know, but I think many would agree that there's some shit going down in the climate crisis, right? Yes. And yes. we've abused this. And so those are some of the questions, right? So, like, what what did your ancestors do that brought them a certain amount of stability, consistency? balance and or peace, even Mm. in the midst of wars, even in the midst of segregation, even in the midst of like plantations, even in the midst of Holocaust, like how did they survive? Right. And the other question or the other thing I would ask people to look at are sleep habits. Right. And as you shared before, right. And if we're not sleeping, sleep F's with me big time. Right. So if we're not sleeping well, our hormones will be off. Our cortisol will be off. I don't want to geek out, right? But like, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. We'll go into fight, flight faster. I do. And that's why I know rage very well because if I, so the statement is then please tend to those big feelings every day. And what I mean by that, I don't mean dive into your rage or dive into sadness and start sobbing, although you could, but you'd probably be a little depressed. Yes. (laughs) What I'm saying is create a little corner in your, house, in your bedroom, in your bathroom. I don't care where it is as long as it's not over the toilet. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Energetically, that doesn't work. Yeah, so yeah. You need a little corner where you have, if I can use you as an example. Yes. Right? Where you have a picture of you as six years old, Danny, uh-huh. right? Frame that shit and a cute frame yeah. that six-year-old Danny would like, not adult Danny. Already on it. Oh, yes. Okay. Put food that, now some people are going to be like, oh, that's some weird shit. No, bro. Like, what do we think that shrines alter? What do we think they are at their core? It's a place where you, I don't have to sit and kneel or pray every day to you. I could just, yeah, yeah. I'm paying attention to you. So I Absolutely. tell people, even if it's your inner child or you want to do a little corner, an altar, a shelf, or whatever to your rage, or you want to do that to your grief, your sadness, this bipolar energy, this manic energy, I would create a little space for it so that A, energetically and metaphorically there's space for it in your life and you don't have to fucking inhabit it you uh, put that shit on a shelf in a place yeah. right maybe you give it fresh water every day whatever maybe you give it high c or right like, yeah yeah bee. i don't know quarter waters i don't know <laughs> and you it's sort of like a little ode if you will if you're not into spiritual thing or whatever it's a little no, ode, I am. you know okay okay yeah. but like an ode to that part of you that desperately still hasn't gotten everything that they needed, even with a therapist hearing you trauma, trauma dump, even with this, even with that, because there's something else that 
they're trying to say. Yeah. And so I believe that it comes up in like high highs and low lows. So yes, I very much so. To share. I just want to let people know that I don't think that those big emotions, whether it's the depression, the anxiety, the sadness, whatever we want to call it, high highs of highs and overspending and, but you know, <laughs> clearing out, yeah. oh, you know, shit is real. I've, <laughs> done it. I've been there. I've so done Multiple it. times. Right. So instead, let's try something different. Right. Let's, mm. And if we haven't, then let's just try it where you're giving your attention to it. Even if it's for 15 seconds, I'm looking at mine. That's why I keep looking over there. 15 yeah, yeah. seconds every day. Just acknowledge it. Like, I see you. What do we need today? Okay. We, we need to dance and rock out to Prince. Boom. Done. Oh, yeah. we need to try to jog, walk in the park. Done. Even though it's freezing, I'm going to do it. Oh, we need to go on a date. We need to have fun. We need physical means met. We need to get a haircut. Like maybe it's, oh, you want to go to like Harry Potter world or something. Maybe it's not even something you want, but there's a younger version. So I'm going to shut up there because I'm getting. No, 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 no. I I agree with you. I I think there's a lot of, there's a lot, makes a lot of sense. You know, it's a, almost have a a routine of breaking a routine from time to time. Mm. You know, I think it's, you know, if you do the same thing every day, Mm-hmm. and expect different results they say that's the definition of insanity right from the future you try to take things and drop them off to like the six-year-old version of yourself you know what i mean and try to you know yeah, fulfill these things yeah parenting yourself too without yes. being overbearing and boring because sometimes yes. your parenting could feel a little 100 <laughs> percent. 100 percent. so the last question i'm going to ask you because you're a doctor and you know you guys are busy as f how do you have a healthy relationship with trauma? Mm-hmm. Great question. Love that. Yeah. You, A, right, find a resource that can hold the space for the trauma. That's going to look mm. different for everybody. And for most people, that might look like therapy, but not for everybody. So I just want to say right. that. That's a given, but that's yes. one. Once there's at least somebody that you can like trust fall back on, because if we don't have that shit and we start diving into it, it's like a fun house. It changes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's big and scary. Sometimes you feel lost in panic. And sometimes mm. you're like, oh, I'm, this is good. This is fake. This isn't real. You know? Yeah, like, wow. Yeah, yeah. I think that trauma is a lot like a fun house that it distorts how we see ourselves. It distorts how we see our relationships, our bodies, life, whether we For should sure. live. And so I think you have a better relationship with trauma, kind of like I was just saying, where this is going to sound a little odd, but I think a lot, I've heard Buddhists believe in this and others like kind of feed it, meaning we don't just avoid it and run away from it. We occasionally have conversations with ourselves or with our trauma, sometimes with other people's help, sometimes not. Like, what do you need? Right. If you know that when a trauma flare up, whatever that looks like for a person, yeah. your neck gets really stiff, you'll notice. So some people or your knee starts cracking, like start noticing what the trauma or those pain points or the somatic points are trying to say. So I Mm. think the answer is you form a relationship with the shit. Right. Yeah. Instead of kind of like I'm like a. Prior to J.K. Rowling's like ridiculous, like anti the transphobic. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a big Harry Potter fan though, right? Like, yeah. you know, so what I loved when Dumbledore was like something like they were like, oh, we don't want to, what's his name? I can't even remember. He who must not be named, right? Like, Voldemort. we don't want to talk about Voldemort. Thank you. And he's like, Harry, he didn't say it this way. He said it much cooler, but he's like, Harry, like, we're not going to not name that which we're afraid of. Otherwise, it gives him more power. Yes. And so I feel the same way about trauma. And I would use that metaphor in group, although much more cooler. (laughs) Letting people know that shoving it under, that might have protected us for 10, 15, 20 years of our life. And like the coping skills of drinking and partying, sexing it out, right? Getting fucking high as fuck and like, yeah, whatever. I don't got to think about this shit. But Either A, that turns into full-blown addiction and gets more intense, and then that's a whole other bag, or B, the shit starts to deal with you, as many Mm. of us know very well, right? Around my late 20s, 30s, my shit started dealing with me big time. Yeah, it's a bar. Right? So that means that those coping mechanisms that kept us alive are no longer working or workable. And so we need to pivot and find other 
mechanisms that are not going to help us self-destruct or kill us earlier, or just like being codependent on another person to fix us, whether it's a lover, a parent, a therapist, right? So my, my answer is, an easy answer is form a relationship with the trauma in a way that is decently palatable, that doesn't trigger and activate you every time you deal with a part of it. Right. That gives you something to look forward to, whether it's drama therapy, whether it's group therapy, whether it's basketball therapy, whether it's equine therapy, right? Or whether it's ancestral healing practices. Maybe it's finding out that your Italian grandmother was a badass witch and (laughs) right, getting getting about what she was doing with basil and chickens and eggs, right? Like, yeah. So what I'm saying is find alternative ways. And some of those ways, hence decolonizing therapy, right? Some of those original ways, not the exact original ways, because we're we're currently in 2023, but what are some of the things that helped our people survive their traumas? What might that look like for me in 2023? And how can I gently move towards it in a way that is not going to knock me on my ass every time Uh. I address it? And nine times out of 10, that requires some form of art. And nine times out of 10, that requires some form of somatic body-based something for sure. So I want to say that. So I think that people dealing with trauma, it's not just through talking as much as I love, I love, I can talk out the ass, as you know, I love talking, (laughs) but the staying in the intellectual keeps us from dropping in the body and trauma did not only happen. Even if you've been verbally abused, I was trauma did not only happen verbally and intellectually, our body felt it. Every sure. time someone was like, Jen, fuck you, shut up, you're dumb. Right? Every time I was told that, yeah. my body recognizes it. Yeah, so for our sure. Our body needs release from it as well. So befriend that trauma, befriend those demons, and find a practice, a spiritual thing, an artistic thing, on top of maybe therapy, that will allow you to work out some of your traumatic material in a way that is consistent that is supportive and loving to your inner child. Love it. Love it. I'm alleviated today. I'll tell you that, you know, I just got a free session and and everybody else here you know, everyone listening, everyone watching, you got a free session too. But uh, (laughs) let me tell you this. If you guys want to keep up with Dr. Mullen, Dr. Jen, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at decolonizing therapy, right? At decolonizing therapy. You can go onto our website, drjennifermullen.com or decolonizingtherapy.com. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Jenny Jen M. And I have a book that'll be coming out in July. It's on pre-order. It's for a lot of practitioners, but there are chapters there for just everyday folk. And it's called decolonizing therapy as well. There we go. Those are the best ways to find me. There's courses on rage that you can pick up. There's courses on grief, on boundaries. So yeah. Check I out. love it. And uh, last question I ask everybody, yeah. are you happy today? I'm feeling so happy and grateful today. Yeah. Good, good, yeah. good, good, good. Because sometimes it is okay not to, but you know what I mean? That's, but I'll take I'll yeah. take the good ones when I get it. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Guys, make sure to check out the Instagram at one and one OTC on Instagram. And then also, if you could hit the like and subscribe, we love you and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. 